Uh, good morning again, everyone. Oh, we're falling asleep out there. Good morning, everybody. I know it's warm in here. It's warm in here. Um, before we look at the Lord's word this morning, uh, just two quick comments. One, I would say to my German friends here today, if you would like a moment for rebuttal next week, uh, we'd be happy to give that to you. Uh, second, I'm, I'm just glad that there are no ways to make uh, jokes about Americans because uh, <laughs> otherwise we'd be in big trouble up here. So uh, let's uh, look to the Lord's uh, word together this morning. We're going to be looking at the gospel of John chapter 21, and we'll be looking at verses 15 through 19 as we continue in our series, Encounters with the Risen Christ. And we're looking at these post-resurrection um, uh, stories from the Gospel of John over the last couple weeks. And so this one is a well-known story about the restoration of Peter, and we're going to be looking at that together and considering what that uh, might be saying to us today. So let's uh, pray together before we read. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you for the gift of the fact that you have spoken to us and continue to speak to us through the words of Scripture. Lord, that you inspired the prophets and apostles to write these things so that we might know you, that we might uh, interact with you, that you might speak to us so that we can faithfully follow you. And we pray this morning that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive what you have for us today. Would you bless to us this reading of your holy scripture? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week, uh, we got to look at Thomas, Thomas the Doubter, and his big encounter with the risen Christ, which led him from doubt to belief, and, and even more than that, into worship. And that's where we ended with Thomas last week. Thomas declared to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And today we're going to be looking instead at one of the other disciples. We're going to be looking at Peter, the rock, and talking a little bit about his life and his big encounter with the risen Christ, which we just read in the Gospel of John. It's another well-known story from Scripture. If you've been going to church uh, very long through your lives, then you probably have heard this story before. And Peter's one of the more well-known disciples, per perhaps the most well-known of all of Jesus' 12 disciples. And unlike Thomas, the Gospels have a lot to say about Peter. And so by the time that we get to this episode in Scripture and in, in, in Peter's life, it feels like we know him already. 
I think a lot of us people would say that, that we feel like we know Peter to some degree because we have seen so much of his life played out in the Gospels. Peter, who is so given to acting on impulse, he often speaks and and does things without really thinking about it first. And it feels like Peter just can't help himself sometimes. Things just come out of him. And he just does whatever pops into his head. I don't know if anybody here can relate to that. uh, But I think that's part of why people love Peter so much. Because you think, I know him. I, I understand this. I have this problem too. Or the gift, right? Depending on how it plays out. And when we look over Peter's life as told to us in the Gospels, we're given a wonderful picture of this, of what this looks like for him. Uh, We also uh, see in Peter these moments of profound insight, and he demonstrates early on a powerful faith in Jesus Christ, his Lord. So we have these two sides of Peter, both, both wrapped up in the same person. Peter is the disciple to say that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Recognizing that he is not just a great teacher or or miracle worker, but seeing Jesus for who he really is, well before many other people did. And it's in response to this proclamation where, where Peter says, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And that's when Jesus turns to him and says, yes, and you are now Peter, the rock. He gives him his nickname at that point. And he speaks a truth into Peter's life about who he would become in Christ and the role that he was going to play in the early church. I love that we were just singing that song, I am who you say I am, and what that must mean to someone like Peter, someone who is so impulsive, impetuous at times, but for Jesus to look at him and say, you are a rock. Because I don't know that Peter always felt that way, especially in our passage today. Another time, as Jesus' followers were abandoning him because his teaching had become so difficult for them, Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, what about you all? Are you going to leave me too? And Peter responds in that moment, where else will we go? To who else can we turn? You have the words of eternal life. And it's another profound insight on Peter's part. There are any number of people in this world who we can choose to listen to or that we can choose to follow. There are many people who would say, listen to me, follow me. I have the words that you need to hear. And we can follow them or become their disciple if we want, but Jesus is the only one with the words of eternal life. And all others will lead us astray if they're not leading us in the way of Christ. And hard as Jesus' teachings are sometimes, Peter recognized this, and he was unwilling to follow anyone else. Lord, who else are we going to turn to? You have the words of eternal life. Some other highlights of Peter's life. I I love this one. Peter walked on water with Jesus. Uh, It's another one of those stories, kind of like Thomas last week, uh, that often used as an example of a lack of faith. We look at Peter and we say, oh, he... What was wrong with Peter? He started to sink. He, he lost his faith. And yet, when you think about it, of all the people who have ever lived in history, other than Jesus, we only know of one who walked on water. We only know of one. Because Peter was willing to get out of the boat and go to Jesus on the water. He's the only one who knows what it's like to do that. And so we actually see this great example of Peter's faith and his willingness to step out in that way. And Peter was also there at the transfiguration. He was one of only three disciples that Jesus took up on the mountain with him, Peter, James, and John. 
And when Peter was up there, he got to see the prophet Elijah, and he got to see Moses, and he saw Jesus appear in all of his glory, and he heard the voice of the heavenly Father testifying about his son. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. There's more, of course, that comes out in Peter's life, but always throughout the Gospels, Peter seems to be right there in the mix of things. He's always in the middle of the action. He was very close to Jesus, and he'd had a lot of experience that, excuse me, experiences that had built up his faith. And when we look at his relationship with Jesus, we see that they are sort of these two old friends. They have a lot of history between them. And so all of this comes up as we see our passage today. When we're looking at our passage this morning, there are a few other uh, places in Scripture that I think are important for us to have in mind, which, which sort of lay the foundation for this exchange between Peter and Jesus, the one that they have with each other. This conversation doesn't just come out of nowhere. Of course, there's a lot that has led up to it. So first, we have to look back at the events of the Last Supper, of Jesus' arrest and trial. Because at the Last Supper, as Jesus was explaining to his disciples what was about to happen to him over the next 24 hours or so, Peter has this bold statement to show his loyalty to Jesus, where he says, I will follow you to death. I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. And this is typical of Peter, this this impulsive statement. It's filled with emotion, and there's no question that he meant what he was saying. He really loved Jesus, and he had committed his life to following him. And if Jesus was going down, then Peter was going to go down with him. But Jesus responds to Peter not by saying, thank you, thank you. He says, not so fast, Peter, not so fast. Because before all of this is over, you are going to deny me three times. Which is exactly what happens, as many of you know, if you, if you read through the stories. It's a, uh, what, a, what is a gut-wrenching scene to read in all four of the Gospels, where Jesus is being put on trial, and Peter is not far away, and Peter is asked three times if he knows Jesus. You're one of his disciples, aren't you? You know this man. And Peter says three times, no, no, I'm not his disciple. And John, he says, I'm not his disciple. In the other Gospels, he says, I don't know him at all. I don't know this man that you are talking about. And part of what makes this scene so, so painful to read is that I think it really personalizes Jesus' abandonment and his isolation on his way to the cross. The Roman soldiers and the Jewish religious leaders, we can sort of hold them at a distance. They're, they're somewhat anonymous. It's easy to make them the bad guys and say, well, look what they did to Jesus. But Peter, we know. We know him. And we relate to him. And Jesus knew him and was close with him. They, they loved each other, which makes the betrayal all the more painful and hard to read. In hindsight, as we look back, Peter's vow to follow Jesus to him, his death seems a little too rash on Peter's part. Peter believed too strongly in the courage of his convictions, and he wasn't able to live up to his vow. But knowing all that we do about Peter, all of the the experiences that we just walked through and all of the miraculous things that he had witnessed or gone through himself, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised at his faith in himself to give up his life for his friend and his Lord. If anyone was going to do it, it would be Peter, we might think. 
If anyone was going to give up their life for Jesus, Peter would be the one to do it because of the the closeness of their relationship. We might have believed that he would follow through on his promise. But in the end, Peter fails too. And it's this failure, his denial of Jesus, that leads to this exchange between the two of them here at the end of John. And it might be enough to just to look at these two events together, Peter's denial of Jesus and then his restoration uh, that we read earlier and how they go together. But there are two more passages that also help us see what Jesus is up to here. And the first is the passage immediately preceding the one we read, where Jesus meets his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And they'd been out in a boat fishing all night. Some of you may know this story too. They hadn't caught anything And as they're coming back into shore, there's Jesus standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples, they don't recognize him at first. And and Jesus calls out to them and he says, haven't you caught any fish? And they say, no, we haven't caught anything. And he says, well, put down your nets again one more time. And so the disciples put down their nets and they, they catch this amazing, huge catch of fish. They can't even bring the nets back into the boat. And it's as that happens that the disciples look at Jesus and they recognize him for who he is. And we see the apostle John lean over to Peter and I imagine he whispers to him and says, it is the Lord, it is the Lord. And as Peter hears that, he immediately jumps into the water and starts swimming to shore as fast as he can. It's so typical of Peter, what he's doing there. I think it's one of the best moments in all of scripture that Jesus, uh, Peter sees Jesus on the shore and just, he actually doesn't take his clothes off. He puts his clothes back on and then he jumps into the water and swims to shore. I don't understand that part. But Peter's just so excited to see Jesus again. He can't even wait for the boat to get to shore on its own. And then you have this wonderful scene where Jesus makes breakfast for his disciples by the lake shore. And these old friends who have been through so much together, they get to share this quiet meal together, probably like they had many times before. But this miraculous catch of fish recalls another story, an earlier story. And seeing these two together also helps give us a fuller picture of what's happening when Jesus restores Peter. Because in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is just starting his ministry. And again, he is by the Sea of Galilee. And there were some fishermen who had been working all night out fishing, and they hadn't caught a thing. And Jesus told them to try one more time. And they ended up bringing in so many fish that their nets were breaking and they had to call for backup. And if you know this story, then you know that this is the story of Jesus calling Peter for the first time. James and John were there too. And Jesus tells them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they pulled their boats up on the shore and they left everything and they followed him. They followed him. But my hope in bringing these stories together as background for our passage today is for us to see that Jesus is doing more with Peter than just setting up a sort of one-to-one exchange uh, between Peter's denials and Jesus' questions for him. You denied me three times, I'm going to ask if you love me three times, and then everything's going to be square between us. There's something deeper going on here where everything that Jesus is doing is helping to reestablish his relationship with Peter and the call that he has already placed on Peter's life, all to Peter's benefit. It's easy to imagine the guilt and the the self-doubt that Peter might have been feeling. Even with the excitement of the resurrection, there was something there. 
because Peter had betrayed his friend, something that he didn't think he was capable of doing, or at least he presented himself that way. And I wonder if Peter thought that his relationship with Jesus was irreversibly broken, or at least damaged, because of what he had done. Or I wonder if he feared that there was no longer a place for him among the twelve, if his denial of Jesus had negated his call to ministry in some way, or maybe demoted him to some level. But Jesus waits for the right time to talk to Peter about it, to restore him. Because here they are, back at home. They're by the Sea of Galilee, the place where they're from, the place where so much of their lives and ministry together had happened, a place that would have felt familiar and comfortable to them, where the tension between them may have been lowered a little bit. And the miraculous catch of fish would have reminded Peter of when Jesus had called him in the first place, and that Peter had responded and left everything to follow him. And all of this would have served to show Peter that his failure is not what defines his relationship with the Lord. It existed well before then, and it's going to continue well beyond this failure. And all of this is part of the risen Christ's gracious movement towards Peter. Peter is receiving some very strong affirmations from the risen Christ that will all will be well, even before they start their conversation with each other. Before walking him through this restoration process, Jesus is already restoring the foundations of their relationship with each other. And one thing to notice in all of this is that it is Jesus who is taking all of the initiative here. Jesus is the one who goes to Peter, not Peter to him. And this is how their relationship started in the first place. Jesus sought Peter out and called him to follow. And it's true here too. The risen Christ has sought Peter out again, and he's the one who initiates the conversation with him. It might make more sense to us if it happened the other way around. Jesus is the wronged party in this relationship, so we might expect that Peter would have gone to him to ask for forgiveness, to apologize, to seek reconciliation. And Jesus would have been well within his rights to just sit back and wait aloof until Peter had humbled himself enough to come to him. But Jesus doesn't do that. He goes to Peter. And that's because this is the way our God works. He doesn't wait for us to get our act together and come to him. He is constantly and actively moving toward us, his people. He seeks us out. He calls us into his service. He convicts us. He renews us. He restores us. And this is a pattern that we see throughout the scripture that God moves to us first and we respond. When we look at the lives of Abraham or Moses or Samuel or David or the disciples with Jesus, it happens time and time again that God acts and people respond to his gracious movement towards them. It's true even in our own lives. If we have come to know God, it's because he has revealed himself to us through his word and by his spirit In other words, he has allowed himself to be known by us. And if we repent of our sins, it's because God has invited us to do so. He has called us to leave our sin behind and follow him. And we see this first and foremost through Christ himself coming into the world and giving his life for the forgiveness of our sins. 
God provided for our salvation, not because we sought it out for ourselves, but because he loved us and he knew that we needed it. God acts first and we respond. And it's what we see here with Peter. Peter doesn't go to Jesus asking forgiveness and seeking restoration. Jesus seeks him out and Peter responds. This is the pattern of grace. God in his infinite holiness and power and love coming to us and offering himself to us in many different ways. And we are given the opportunity to respond to him. An important part of of Peter's story and his maturing in the faith um, is what happens here. Because he is so confident in his own ability to do what was right when the time came. Even to to lay down his life uh, for Jesus. And yet here we see God extend his grace to him. Jesus comes to Peter after this special time with the disciples, having laid so much of the groundwork already for their relationship again, and he begins this conversation, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Jesus repeats the question three times, varying the words a little bit each time, but each time with the same purpose and the same message behind it. Do you love me? If you do, take care of my sheep. And we see that what Jesus is doing here is affirming his relationship with Peter and then also his call to Peter. We see in these exchanges two of the main priorities that Jesus has for his disciples. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. The foundation for our relationship with Christ and our discipleship is meant to be love. His love for us, first of all, and then our love for him in response. And whatever else is a part of following Jesus Christ is meant to be built on this loving relationship between us. This is one of the things that is so amazing about what we believe That this holy, transcendent God, the maker of the heavens and the earth, has loved us and has called us his beloved children. And Jesus is reminding Peter of this here in this exchange, of this love that they have between them. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. And then we also see the second part of Jesus' concern about discipleship is his love for his sheep. So Jesus restores his relationship with Peter, do you love me? And then he affirms the call that he has placed on Peter's life. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. What we see in this is Jesus' love for his people and his desire for them to be cared for, to be fed, to be protected, to be nurtured, to be loved. Jesus talks a lot about sheep in the Gospels, meaning us, his followers, his people. It's not always meant as a compliment. Uh, But he always refers to himself as the shepherd, the good shepherd, the one who goes and seeks the lost sheep, the one who lays down his life for all of them. And then Jesus shares this call with Peter and the rest of the apostles. He calls Peter to love his people too. And to care for them and to love them, to nurture them and to protect them. I think part of what we see in these two questions that Jesus asks Peter three times is both sides of the greatest commandment. 
when the, the person went to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And we see that this is what Jesus is doing with Peter here. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Love God, love your neighbor. It's important to Peter what Jesus is doing here with him in, in uh, reaffirming his call because his failure has not negated his call to ministry. This has not ruined everything for Peter. Jesus doesn't say, you know what, you messed up, I forgive you, but now I'm done with you. Go back to your boat and to your fish and uh, you can be a disciple from a distance. Jesus says, no, my call is still valid. You are forgiven, you are restored, and now go and feed my sheep and take care of them. We see that Peter is frustrated and hurt uh, when Jesus asks him for the third time, do you love me? But even this is a gracious move on Jesus' part, that the three questions that Jesus asks Peter and the three commissions he give them, gives him correspond with the three denials that Peter made about knowing him. Now Peter is given the chance to affirm his love for Jesus the same number of times that he denied him. And he gets to hear his call affirmed by Jesus those same number of times as well. I think there's a way for us to read this exchange as if the three repetitions is Jesus making a point with Peter, sort of sticking it to him. You wronged me three times and now you have to prove yourself three times in order to get back in my good graces. Almost as if it was sort of a form of penance. But again, this is not how God works. And we can see this as actually God's gracious move towards Peter and to his benefit. If there's any point that Jesus is trying to make here, it's that Peter is forgiven. That the sin of his denial was paid for on that cross, along with the rest of the sins of the whole world. And now Peter has been fully restored. His love for Christ has been reaffirmed. His call to ministry has been reaffirmed. Peter has learned some important lessons about the power of sin and the weakness of our human nature, and he has been humbled. And it's hard to imagine him being overconfident still uh, after having gone through all of this or holding on to some sense of self-righteousness about all that he has done for Jesus after these denials. These are all lessons that will benefit him throughout his life and ministry. But most importantly, Peter has come to a new and deeper understanding of the gospel. Tim Keller, the the former pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, uh, says this in a sermon about this passage. He says, Peter understood the gospel for the first time here. What is the gospel? That the determining factor in my relationship with the Father is not my past, but Christ's past. Not my record, but Christ's record. Let's hear that again. The determining factor in my relationship with the Father is not my past, but Christ's past. Not my record, but Christ's record. What now defines Peter's relationship with the Father is the cross and the fact that Jesus died for him there. And with this new understanding of the gospel, this new determining factor in his relationship with God, Peter is set free from the guilt and sin of his past. He's set free from trying to prove himself as the best or the most loyal disciple. And he's set free to truly follow the risen Christ and to truly lay down his life for him in every way. Our passage today closes with this sort of cryptic statement about 
uh, being uh, led where you don't want to go when you're older. And we're told that it has something to do with the manner of Peter's death, that Peter is martyred later in his life. And then Jesus says to Peter, follow me, follow me. This is how Jesus first called Peter and the rest of the disciples, going to them and saying, follow me. And it's how he reaffirms his call to Peter here. But it's an invitation to all of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says to you too, follow me, follow me. It's the simple call to discipleship. Along with loving him and loving his people, Jesus says, follow me. And our obedience to this call comes out of our love for him. Henry Nouwen, uh, in his book on Christian leadership called In the Name of Jesus, uh, writes this uh, about this passage. He reflects on these themes and how our love for Christ is what leads us to follow him. And he says, the world says, when you were young, you were dependent and could not go anywhere you wanted. But when you grow old, you will be able to make your own decisions and go your own way and control your own destiny. But Jesus has a different vision of maturity. It is the ability and willingness to be led where you would rather not go. He goes on to say this, powerlessness and humility in the spiritual life do not refer to people who have no spine and who let everyone else make decisions for them. They refer to people who are so deeply in love with Jesus that they are ready to follow him wherever he guides them always trusting that with him, they will find life and find it abundantly. Part of what makes Peter such a compelling person for us and why this story in particular touches so many of us is because it's easy for us to see ourselves in Peter. We know that we love the Lord. We're often convinced of our loyalty and faithfulness, our own strength to follow. We want to believe that we would lay down our lives if it was called for but we also know that we have failed just as Peter did. We know that we have failed in big and small ways. And we know that often our sin gets the better of us. Whether we're tempted by the pleasures of the world or the lies that the world tells us, or whether we're tempted by the desire for self-preservation as Peter was here, our faith isn't always as strong as we want it to be. It's not always even as strong as we might think that it is. And we have to wrestle with our own weakness and the guilt that comes with it when we fail and whether our relationship with the Lord can be restored after we sin. But the good news of the gospel is what we see right here with Peter today, that the risen Christ, the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep, comes and seeks us out and assures us that we are forgiven reminding us that our salvation doesn't rely on our own righteousness, but on his. And he restores us, and he renews us, and he calls us again to love him and the rest of his children and to follow him into discipleship. Friends, as we've been looking at these passages over the last few weeks from the the end of John's Gospels, my prayer is that we will recognize that encounters with the risen Christ change people. Encounters with the risen Christ change people. They change them. And for those who respond in faith, these encounters are part of forming them into the people that God created us to be. They form us into the likeness of Jesus Christ himself. 
And though we today don't have the benefit of encountering the risen Christ in the flesh, we talked about this last week, the risen Christ is no less present to us than he was to the disciples back then. It may feel like it, but it is not true. It is not true. Because the risen Christ meets us through prayer and through his word and through the presence of his Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we follow him, we too will continue to be changed. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we often pray and acknowledge that you know our hearts even better than we do ourselves. Lord, you know all of the love that we have for you, but you also know all of the sin that we still continue to carry. You know the ways that we want to be faithful. You know the ways that we fail to be faithful. You know the ways that we choose not to be faithful. And yet, Lord, in all of this, we still hear your gracious word to us that we have been forgiven because of your work on the cross, because of your death on the cross. And we thank you that as you have been raised to new life, that we also may be raised to new life with you. We thank you that you have not abandoned us to ourselves. So Lord, would you continue to work in our lives? May we continue to encounter the risen Christ through your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you continue to shape us into the likeness of our risen Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.